put me in the movie. But you have to sort of decide these things. Or do you want to be a political creature who was also an actor, like I've been? I was out in the beginning of the 70s, actually, as a gay man. And I just found uh, more comfort in terms of being an actor if I wasn't in this camouflage mode, if I wasn't denying who I was through the sort of 70s. You know, I, I was constantly, even on television, cast as a gay man because I was openly gay. And, you know, the imagination of people in television was, oh, well, he's a gay man. Well, we'll cast him as a gay man and not cast me as much else. Until we say, I have a right to express this, I have a right to be in the mainstream, I have a right as an openly gay man to play heterosexual roles, even leading man roles, unless somebody takes that stance and makes that move forward, it ain't gonna happen. And we will continue to be victimized by our own victimization and by our own image of ourselves. We have to end that stigma somehow, and I don't know how that's going to happen. I mean, I suppose it'll happen when the first leading man actor in television or film says he's gay and continues to be able to work and not lose work playing heterosexual roles. I mean, I think it's ridiculous. Acting is about acting. It's not about who you are when you go home and what you do in bed behind closed doors. And that argument is ridiculous that well, we're not going to believe them if we know that. That means that we, if we believe that Arnold Schwarzenegger has knocked off a few people at the 7-Eleven before he goes to the studio. But you have to sort of decide these things. Or do you want to be a political creature who is also an actor like I've been? <laughs> Welcome to the Queer and Art Podcast. I'm your host, Frankie Kraft, and you just heard a clip from a video that was posted 11 years ago of an interview of my first guest, Michael Kearns. 11 years ago. Can you believe that? I mean, a lot's happened since then, but uh, I don't know how much has changed. I've been lucky enough to have met Michael through uh, being an actor in one of his plays, and we've continued a friendship from then about uh, three or four years ago. And in that time, I've really grown to learn such fascinating things about him. And I have just so much uh, gratitude towards all the work he's done for the LGBTQI plus community. Michael has had such an amazing career spanning over 40 years, and he's masterminded a consistent artistic response that speaks directly to community needs from coming out stories to the voluminous issues around HIV AIDS, while currently encompassing the worlds of adoption, gay marriage, the aging LGBTQ community, and the rights of trans people. And during the last uh, 20 years, he has been at the forefront of service organizations that guide those experiencing homelessness, racial injustice, and a bunch of forms of other discrimination. He's a, a very talented actor, director, playwright, dramaturg, acting coach, writing teacher, producer, and solo performer. He's also an established writer, He's written an autobiography called The Truth is Bad Enough. He's written a bunch of plays. You'll hear him talk about a little bit of that in our podcast. Um, and for the past 30 years, he's battled the AIDS crisis on the page and on the stage. And his theatrical work addressing the plague is pretty much unparalleled. It's almost one year after Michael has been honored by Los Angeles Mayor Eric Garcetti and Councilmember uh, Mitch O'Farrell as a trailblazer in a City Hall presentation celebrating LGBT Heritage Month. 
There are amazing articles online about Michael, and I encourage you to do some digging and, and find out more about this amazing human being who I am so lucky I got to sit with and record and, and hear some amazing stories. So I think it's just so perfect that he's my first guest, and I'm so excited for you all to meet him if you don't already know him. So please enjoy my interview with the amazing Michael Kearns. excited because I'm sitting in the living room of Michael Kearns, who I've been so lucky to have met through this life that I've been walking to cross paths with someone who is such a pioneer of our community and in this uh, city that I live in now. But I mean, I think far outstretches that um, your history within the art world is so important and I'm just so honored to know you, that I'm sitting with you right now, that I've worked with you, and I'm just, I want to talk to you about you. Thank you. I'm so excited. Thanks for that intro. <laughs> um, so, Michael, I, uh, it's, what is, what is this month? Are we in March? So I just yeah, saw, we're, we're, yeah. I just saw your play, Bloodbound, which is your latest play. Um, how many plays have you actually written, though? Well, if you count the solo pieces as plays, I'd say, I don't know, but 12, 10, 12. And with Bloodbound, because um, something that I loved about Bloodbound was that, uh, would you call it like a memoir piece? Uh, yes. <laughs> yeah. I'm so hesitant to get into memoir autobiography. What is it? Is it you? Is it about you? Is it? So, uh, but yes, I think memoir light. Not that the play is light, but it yes, it has definitely aspects of memoir. Right. I mean, just the the maybe I chose memoir because of the, the the language you use when you write, and even when you speak. I mean, your speeches that you give. I mean, uh, the one you gave with the Garcetti speech. The, the, it you speak in such a poetic manner that this play kind of is very romanticized in in a memoir esque way. Good. Um, so, but the thing I really loved about it was I felt like I was also watching a younger, older version of, let's say, uh, your story. Yes. Perhaps. Absolutely. Um, which was really exciting for me because, I mean, I've gotten to work with you, but I have never really gotten to sit with you like this and, and talk about your journey, sort of. Um, and in Bloodbound, you spoke a lot about, or the characters spoke a lot about, um, okay. yeah, you know, the characters spoke a lot about, um, the, the struggles of, um, not a lot, but there was, I love that, that, uh, one part of the play when he was talking about holding the box. Um, Oh yeah. Just like those things that just really resonated, resonated for me as a young or not even young, just an actor who was gay. Yeah. Hold the box. It would make, they thought that holding the box would somehow not, I wouldn't look so gay. Yeah. 
I it mean, was so humiliating. And they don't tell you why, and you know, you know why, and and yet you're doing this long walk across a room, and I mean, I wasn't doing anything really seriously. I was just walking. But they wanted me to walk like a lumberjack or something, I guess, because I was a sports figure. They cast me. I didn't cast myself. And it was like a TV show? Mm-hmm. And you had done the scene a bunch of times? and then Well, I had done it. I had done it. Maybe I'd done the walk across the room <laughs> more than <laughs> once. And I knew something was up. I mean, I knew they were not happy with something. You never know what they're fucking talking about. And I knew that... And I knew, I thought, I didn't know. I didn't want to know. But then, well, could you try that again? Walk a little slower. Could you try to walk a little faster? Could you walk with your blah, blah, blah? Could you walk? So now you're like, you know. Like, I'm guessing, well, now it's because I'm queer. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and first of all, why couldn't the sports figure be a queer? There, there, was, there was no, it wasn't a scene about his sexuality. So then, finally, they say, well, would you carry this box? And I'm like, carry a box? Yeah. Now I know. Mm. I mean, they don't say it ever. They never could. I mean, they could, I guess, but they didn't say it. So then I'm carrying a box. And I guess they did that take a couple of times, and they were happy that the box made, degayed me. And what was your... Can you imagine? I, I really... I have to act? I did, then I had to do the scene with John Rubenstein with stars, you know? I'm, I like, I'm sweating and, you know, the shame. Did anyone oh. around know what was going on? Oh, I'm sure that they did, if they were paying attention. I, it was, it, to me, it seemed like it was three hours. It was probably ten minutes. Or, it was a long time to be spending on somebody. It was a guest starring role. But still, it was a scene, and that was the entrance. So they took a long time with me. Mm -hmm. And I would think if those other actors were paying attention, they'd know. I don't know if they'd know what exactly, but what else would it be? Could I ask what when this was? Like, Mm. what year this was? I did most of those shows in the 80s. The name of... I can't never remember the name of this show. It was John Rubenstein... All it right. might come to me. That's fine. I have it written down somewhere. So, could I ask about... You can ask about anything. Anything? Yay. Okay, so, because I, 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 I was thinking about it today, I was just like, where's Michael from again? Like, especially after watching Bloodbound, I was like... St. Louis. St. Louis. Okay, so... Tennessee Williams land. I love it. I want to know more about your coming out story, too, if that if you mind sharing. Mm. Um, what was your well, like, childhood you know, like? Was, it, this was... Early on, you know, this was pre-Stonewall in St. Louis, Missouri. Um, You know, I was having sex with men when I was 16, so that would be 1966. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, illicit sex, bathroom sex, um, wherever I could find it, you know, I was just... This kid, knowing I was gay, knowing I was whatever. And so, you know, you could find it if you were adventurous, and I was adventurous. And I was also involved in the theater, so 
So were you, from a young age, wanting to be a performer? Always, from eight years old. And so I did, um, there was this big theater in St. Louis called the St. Louis Municipal Opera, and I would understudy sometimes the lead kids who came from New York, but they needed a St. Louis understudy. They need a local understudy. So I understudied sometimes. And then I was exposed to all these people, and of course, some of those people could be arrested mm-hmm. in today's world. But, you know, was I the seducer? Were they? Who knows? <laughs> right. True. I mean, it's a good question. I mean, I've written about this, I've talked about it, and, you know, anything I say, especially today, in today's world. Yeah. The thing that I'm curious about, too, is um, when did you, did you ever have that moment? Maybe you were 16, but or maybe it happened a little later when you were like having to ba- truly battle having to play straight roles. In did it? When did that pop up for you? I, I think it was a battle in auditions. I don't think it was ever like, um, you know, I never like wanted to play straight. I, I mean, I never like thought I had to prove something. Mm-hmm. I mean, one of the first shows I was on in terms of TV was The Waltons, and I couldn't have been, I couldn't have played more straight. Mm-hmm. You know, he was the stud of the... Right. So, um, it's not like I couldn't do it. So, that was what was interesting. And then, I think it was the auditions that made me crazy, because, and then especially, like, having that experience. Mm-hmm. And I just couldn't played the game and I couldn't you know I would be in the room you know and they're in the audition room to go in and there'd be 20 actors or whatever and you know at certain you had to have a certain look for the parts I was going for act, you know you looked a certain way well half of the people who looked that way were gay mm-hmm. but they weren't acting gay in fact they were going great lengths not to act gay Mm-hmm. And I'd watch this and I'd think, I can't do this. I just can't play this game. But I did play the game, you know, and had some success. But I wasn't going to do that. I wasn't going to waste my time. So I never felt like, you know, I never, um, it was, it, it, I, I conquered it pretty quickly in, in a certain way. I mean, I, because I, I really was out. I mean, I was doing gay theater and stuff when I was doing some of this television. Mm-hmm. I, I was definitely doing gay theater. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's how I was making a name for myself, was in gay theater while I was doing some of this TV stuff. Now, if one of the TV things had exploded, I don't know what would have happened. But So, are we talking pre-AIDS era gay yeah, theater? Yeah, we're talking... We're talking 80s. Okay. Primarily. Okay. And what the hell was that like? Oh, my God. It was just absolutely bizarre, you know? I mean, it was... I'd be... Go, I was, like, playing some kind of drag queen on... <laughs> and it, I remember doing this show. I was playing a drag queen and some... some I don't... Everybody and their brother was in this show, meaning, like, some names. And then... I went for the fall guy. That Oh, that's what I... Ta- I, I juxtaposed that. That's okay. not really what the show is that I do the box for. Mm-hmm. But um, I did do the fall guy. 
and I have a gun. And, and I'm thinking to myself, if anyone could see these two characters, you know, that I did one until midnight, and then the next day I'm at 6 o'clock, I'm at work. So it was very, it was very odd. So I was sort of relieved to not do that. I'm curious about, um, for example, when, when, when I was younger, and <laughs> this is going to sound so like dumb, but when I was younger, I saw Titanic. We've, I've shared this yeah, story with yeah. you before. And I saw Titanic and saw Leonardo DiCaprio, and that was kind of, I was seven, and I realized I'm definitely in love with this person. And I'm curious what maybe that moment was for you. Well, I did have a moment. I mean, it was at the St. Louis Municipal Opera. And I think I'd had some diddling things. And um, this was, uh, I think the guy, I think I was 16. He was 32. <laughs> he was twice my age. And I always remembered that. I always thought, he's 32. <laughs> anyway, I remember, um, it's a long involved story, but there was a place at the Municipal Opera where they had free seats and it was a cruising area and he was there and um, I'm not going to tell you the whole long story. However, afterwards, somehow we got in a car, we were in a car. He was a friend of his and he had to be somewhere. Well, eventually I found out where he had to be. He had to be at home with his wife. Right, 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 right. But I didn't know that. <laughs> so I was in the car with him, his friend, and somebody else, and it was a kiss, the first kiss. Mm -hmm. And um, I can remember that kiss right now. And that kiss went on. <laughs> and I thought, you know, this is it. Mm -hmm. This is it. I mean, I, you know, I knew I liked men. I knew I liked men. I knew I liked boys. I knew I liked, I knew I, I guess I knew I was, I guess I knew, but I didn't know like I did after that kiss. During the kiss. During the kiss. Mm -hmm. I knew. No going back. How did you get into doing solo plays and solo material? Well, I, well one of the guys that you're talking about who died, named James Carroll Pickett, um, uh, had written uh, a show, and Tim Miller, who's very much alive, part of Highways, was part of Highways, came to see that show that I was in. It was a solo play called Dream Man. I did it all over the world. And Tim Miller said to me, you know, you should write a show for yourself. And it really had not sort of occurred to me because I was doing Jim's show. And, um, but then, then AIDS happened. Mm -hmm. And it was the confluence of AIDS and Tim saying that, and me having done Dream Man, and all of a sudden I thought, here it is, I'm gonna do a solo show. So that's when I did Intimacies, which was the, you know, the big breakthrough. Right. Um, it's a breakthrough based on utter, you know, tragedy. Yeah, um, I don't know how best it's, I feel, I don't wanna be insensitive about asking anything about that experience, but I'm just so curious about um, what it was kind of like. To do that play? And to, to be in, in this community and, and be performing with other people who are infected and, and dying. I mean, that's... 
dying in front of your eyes, virtually. I mean, you know, dying people in the dressing room on cots, mm -hmm. like you're at war, in war. You get them up and go on stage. Um, that was a show that I called AIDS Us, which was real people telling their stories, and they would be on cots. And then, you know, there was this show called Jerker, where two of the actors who were in the show were lovers, and uh, they were really good actors, but they happened to be lovers. I, were they lovers before the show? I can't remember they were lovers before the show. Anyway, they were, they were dead by, oh, you know this, they were dead by, I guess, I, I don't think they were 35. I'm not sure if they were, I lose track of all that time. Mm -hmm. But, you know, they were lovers, and then they both got it, it, it was it, called the it, it then, and um, one of them had to leave the show, and then I went in, and you just, I mean, it was like, oh, okay, well, he's dying, Michael go in, and oh, well, oh, well, I mean, yeah. And then, but it was not just him dying. Then there were other people who weren't in show business who were dying. Right. And you would go to, you know, two or three memorials in a weekend or four or whatever there were. And you would visit, um, you know, s several hospitals in a month or a week or sometimes and go to a hospital and then go back a few weeks later and go to the same room and it was a different person. Mm -hmm. I mean, it was, I, I do not believe, I mean, I, I had one of these moments of, I don't know if it was a day or two ago. I don't believe I've recovered from it. I, I don't think I can. I sometimes catch myself at like gay bars, just looking around at everybody and thinking, what if I, or my best friend who I'm with, what if this person told me, which is pretty dark, you know, and yeah, we've come a long way, but I, I have um, just, I want to say, I'm, I'm, I, I think that there are, we should do more to express to each other, to the people who might have seen it happen or been with people that were close. You should. I agree. You should. You should, you know, I mean, when we all, it was the, the I love you. I mean, it, it, it happened with it happened way before my daughter. Uh, I mean, a lot of you hear a lot of parents now say it a lot, but in with it happened when people were dying. We would say I love you at the end of every phone call, mm -hmm. and that just became a given with gay men. It or at least the gay men I knew, um, because you didn't know if they would die before you talk to them the next time and that could be that they could die. they could be sitting here having somewhat of a normal conversation and go in the hospital uh, on Monday tomorrow and be dead on Friday mm -hmm. yeah. that's how quickly it could happen in those days so it was uh, you had to say I love you and we did say a lot of things to each other I think that that's gone now that kind of intimacy is gone. It's at least it's. It, it, I don't know where it is. <laughs> yeah. No. I, I maybe that's what it is. Um, it was. A, it was also showbiz and AIDS together. All that emotion. 
going on at the same time. Yeah, what was that like? I mean, for if you were an actor, you know, what, what, and you're got an audition tomorrow. Well, I'll tell you a story. Okay, I had a friend. He was dying right here on Rodney at um, Rodney and Franklin. And I was doing a show at this little, there was a place called The Fifth Estate and Deja Vu, which was, was like at Normandy and Hollywood Boulevard. You could walk between mm-hmm. those distances. be a long little walk, but you could walk. And I had to go before the show. I was doing a show with um, one of the guys who was in Jerker, Joe Fraser, who was not completely well, but he was well enough to do the show. He still looked really good, you know, good enough to play, sort of. My friend had died, and I had to go visit. I had to go see his lover before the show. What was I thinking? I think I had to because that was the timing. Mm -hmm. So I went to see him, his friend, and he came to the door, he opened the door, and he pushed her, and he fell to the floor, mm-hmm. like fainted, like fainted. And then, I think the body was still there, actually. Mm-hmm. And so then, I go, I get in the car. Of course, I was a little bit late, and this is a two-character play in which I uh, who knew who had it in the play? Maybe we both had it. One of us had it in the play. And we have these, like, extreme makeout scenes mm-hmm. in the play. And, you know, the makeout scenes were always going to be pretty intense, but you can only imagine how intense they were. Mm-hmm. Now, his lover was in a play next door, and we were all very close. So it didn't... They, he probably told him about Well, He probably said, oh, my, well, tonight was something. And it was some nights and it wasn't other nights. But that night it was like, he must have thought. I mean, he knew that I had visited the boyfriend. But it was like, okay, can we get any crazier than this? Mm-hmm. Like to go from one, an apartment onto the stage where... And playing exactly what's happening in real life. and Do you just push it down? I mean, you have to, I guess. You push it down or pull it up or do something. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It definitely came... I mean, it was an it was a incredible performance. And it was great making out with him. Yeah, sure. Um, yeah. Uh, something... How do I phrase this? I guess it's just mostly about when you make the choice to say, screw the system, like, fuck what any of these people think about what I'm, who I am. I need to do this. And why am I doing this? I, as I keep going through this and, and working and making my own stuff, I, I always have to ask myself, not have to, but I want to ask myself why I'm doing this and why this matters to me and, and why the queer capitalized Q is important to me. And I, I, I want to know when that shift happened for you. Was it b- because of the AIDS crisis or was it uh, something else? 
Well, I think it happened to me probably in stages, and um, but I think that it was the AIDS crisis that took me over. In other words, um, I think I flirted with it, and you know, I knew that I I, I knew I was out of the closet, and I knew I had a political consciousness, mm -hmm. and I knew that I wanted to say something in my work. But what did I have to say? What did we, any of us in the gay, I mean, we talked about coming out. That was the big subject. And that was really it. And I always said in those days, we went from coming out to dying. We never did what was in between. Now we're doing what was in between. Well, in the past 20 years, we've been doing what's with. But, you know, we had that leap. And I think that when uh, the injustice it, that prevailed around AIDS and the, to everyone, and you know, just the horrors of the way treated, people were treated, and um, the pain, and the, you know, the blood, and the shit, and the everything that um, transpired in those years, you know, just made me more and more, every hour, clearer about in the time I have, whatever time I have, I will devote myself to this cause or this issue. And then things would have little, you know, there'd be little things along the way that would just um, inspire me all over again. Oh, all over again. Either really wonderful things, you know, like somebody doing something great and inspiring or some, or, or hideous things. Well, I mean, you've done an amazing job. Uh, I don't know if people tell you that enough of, of continuing to bring this to the stage, to our uh, computer screens. Um, I'm really grateful for that. Um, I also want to know, what it was like to watch a bunch of straight people portray these people that you knew and a bunch of stories that you were living yourself. Um, I know that's like pretty uh, pointed there, but uh, I struggle with that today. And I can only imagine the frustration it must have been to, to watch that those stories start to get um, popularized in cinema where you can now win an Oscar for playing an AIDS patient, dying in a, in a, in a movie where you had AIDS. Um, and then if get on- If you were straight. If you were, if you were straight, and then get on stage and, and receive an Oscar and not thank the community. Um, I'm curious as what it, that was, the, the energy for you during that time and, and what you did to, to kind of keep going. Well, <laughs> You know, it's hard up until, it's hard now. Yeah. I mean, I could cite examples now that make me insane. And if I chose to be um, jealous or resentful or um, any of those things, angry, uh, rageful, I, I mean, I've had my moments, I think. And when I was younger, I certainly had more than I have now because I'm just more maybe philosophical about it, but it's pretty horrible. You know, it's pretty horrible to see the, um, how, well, and one of the things that was most irritating, I think, was, were all the queens who would just be ecstatic to see some straight actor playing uh, 
a, an AIDS victim person with AIDS, an AIDS victim in this case, who, um, you know, uh, sings Botticelli or whatever it is. And it's like, you know, the performance was the equivalent of your uncle putting a, a lampshade on his head. Mm -hmm. You know, all those performances, William Hurt and Kiss of the Spider Woman, they're all lampshade, uncle with the lampshade on his head performances. And they all win Oscars because they're straight men. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I think that has a huge part to do with it yeah it does yeah. this is why they win if a gay man played it it maybe they'd win but you know what is wrong with it the performance well, it's looking at itself and it's saying i'm a straight man playing a gay character and is that I'm not gonna let you forget it see it's i just want to get i want to get such a like a phd in this argument because it's so hard to to argue it's a with people argument because now we have i haven't seen it um call me by my name <laughs> call me by your name call me by anyone's name but my own um i haven't seen it and you know why i haven't seen it because i'm nervous that i'll have some problems and then i'll be you know because believe me i might not feel resentful and jealous i might have an intellectual reason to state why I have problems but I'll be accused of being you know but believe me it, it they couldn't find any gay actors to play those parts is that what we're saying amen um a gay filmmaker by the way, a gay director okay yeah I mean this is a huge <laughs> conversation on. honestly I mean when you, it's hard I find because the the amount of people that feel the way you feel and that I agree with similarly is very small oh in, in, the, in the LGBTQ plus community no, of, of actors. fetishize straight actors playing gay parts. It's fetishized in the gay community, and the, I think. Uh, is this something that you just discovered, just started to believe, or is this something that you've... Oh, you've oh no, no, for 20 years I talked about this. 20, at least, as articles I've written. And has anything changed? No. Nothing. <laughs> I, I, I mean... Virtually nothing. I'm asking you these questions, but I know I know. <laughs> has there answer? been a leading man in a film from Hollywood who's gay, who's played either a gay leading man or a straight leading man part? That's won in awards or just... Well... I guess you could say Kevin Spacey played leading roles, but an out gay man. The answer is no. Right. Matt Bomber is close. Well, he was actually the first um, openly gay actor to win an, a Golden Globe for playing an, an, a gay character who died of AIDS. He was the very first. And that was in uh, nor uh, one of those remakes. Normal Heart. Oh, it wasn't a remake. It was the first time they filmed it. Um, well, good for him. I mean, <laughs> and did he come out after he was famous? That's the question I always want to know. His, his is actually one of the only ones when someone throws his name at me, I say, oh, okay, well, everyone except Matt Bomer because he kind of did come out and then that all kind of happened. But he, um, I don't, I don't want to get critiquey about no, I actors. Don't know. But it's, still, it, it's better to talk in general terms. Yeah, because most of them, ninety nine percent of them, 
come out after they have $10 million. Well, yeah, I mean, here's, here's exactly, exactly. But I mean, here's the thing that I've been saying to certain people who I've talked to about this is, you know, because I can tell that the energy I receive back right away when I start in on, you know, straight actors playing gay roles is, um, well, they're just actors and, um, you know, acting is acting and blah, blah, oh, blah. Yeah, acting is acting. And, and I, I get a sense that maybe it's in my head, but I get a sense that they're like, uh, okay, jealousy. Okay. Envy. Yeah, exactly. And, and so to me now, my energy is more like, I say, thank you, Matt. Or I say, thank you to all you straight people who have graced our screens and, and brought the stories that we needed to the screen for us. Thank you. Mwah. Take your award. Can you please go sit over there? You know, I think that it's time for us to now do this because we deserve that too. Because listen, it's been a hard road. It's been a very hard road. And I mean, are we we had um, Oscar so white. Mm-hmm. We had um, whatever. We've had, you know, are we going to have anything about Oscar so straight or Oscar not gay or... Um, no, of course not. They're nowhere near saying anything like that. They would never make that argument or let anyone even speak to it. Right. Well, you know, we thought... They just want to live their private... They want their privacy, is what I hear. Well, if they want their privacy, then, uh, then they shouldn't do interviews in which they talk about their wives and, or their uh, high school sweethearts or, or what their favorite restaurant is, or, then they should just not do any interviews mm-hmm. whatsoever if they want their privacy. They can't have it both ways. And that's what would irritate me too, is you know, they, those, some of those stars still do go in with uh, an off-limits list. Mm-hmm. And off-limits is no questions about being gay. That we just know that to be the fact. Mm-hmm. So we thought AIDS would cure that. You know, oh well, they would learn their lesson because they could get HIV and they could, you know, they're gonna want to be outed by that, like Rock Hudson was and whose it was and not Anthony Perkins and blah blah blah. They don't want that to happen. Well, that's not the case. Mm-hmm. I mean, we've seen several more die of AIDS who weren't out. Right. And so then, um, now you'd say, well, maybe Kevin Spacey will do it. Maybe that big incident. Will. But is there any evidence of that? I mean, I would think that after the Kevin Spacey incident, there'd be 20 actors on Good Morning America saying they were gay mm-hmm. to avoid any kind of situation where they're outed. Right. It catches up with most of them. I mean, that's the interesting thing. Because even, I mean, especially during the AIDS years, it was like, well, you can play the game until you die and it's in the newspaper that you died of AIDS. Right. Or it's in the newspaper that you died after a long illness. That was the, I was going to use that as a title at one point. I never did. Wow. After a long illness. Oh, that was constantly in the paper. That's powerful, though. After a long illness. That meant he died of AIDS and he was a queer. He was a cocksucker. Right. I mean, did, that's what they said about Rock Hudson first. Yeah. Mm, I, he, they did say AIDS. Oh, yeah. But, you know, his, uh, his managers or the director of one of his movies, you probably heard me say this if you didn't. He said about two days before Rock Hudson died, and he was outside of his house, and all the paparazzi was there. I don't know why they were there at that moment, 
you know, he went to Paris, Rock Hudson, and came back. There was all kinds of stuff that I was watching the TV. Well, for with Rock Hudson, I was interested in body blah, blah, and the, the TV director was out there. Why he was giving any kind of interview, one would never know, but he said, um, oh, Mr. Hudson doesn't have AIDS. He, he's suffering from anorexia nervosa. Oh, gosh. And that was one of the moments that I said, I will never, ever, ever do anything except work for this disease. Mm -hmm. It was. That was one of the moments right then, wow. those words, anorexia nervosa. I mean, he, people were laughing, practically. No, they weren't practical. They were laughing. I mean, it was like it went around. Everybody's like, oh, my God. He was dead like two days or three days later. Right. Wow. So, he, I mean, he was like, you talk about denial, old Hollywood. Yeah. I mean, I think it's, it's still those, I mean, it's still happening. In some version. Yeah. Well, Kevin Spacey was 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 an example. Yes, I mean that was. I I don't even know what to say about that. Like, or how but do you then even... he was going on those shows and like throwing it in everyone's face, like, yeah, on the Tony Awards and, yeah, <laughs> it's not fun. I mean, it's no. funny to us, like, because it's so horrific. Yeah, yeah. Well, okay, so his goose is cooked. Who's next? I know. Who's next? That's uh, the most frustrating part about it to me. I mean, that it just hurts the, hurts the community. It does. Because Kevin Spacey he did not do a lot for us. Mm -hmm. Yes. I mean, I'm agreeing with you. And um, I don't know. I just don't know. Does an actor ha would a, an actor have to have so much money that he could finance the movie, mm -hmm. or have a friend who had the money to finance a movie? You'd think that would exist. Mm -hmm. I mean, all these gay men who have bazillions of dollars who are producing movies—not one of them would think of producing a movie with a gay man playing a gay role. I still stand by my my feeling that I say thank you. My it was their time, you know. They did it. I appreciate it. I'm not mad at you. I'm I'm frustrated at the system that has made this okay. Um and it, you know, little things, I don't know. Well, imagine if you're frustrated. I it's been happening um I, you know, I, I, it's hard not to take it personally. Mm -hmm. It's been happening for I don't know how many years. Mm -hmm. And, you know, some of those parts along the way I've been called in for. Mm -hmm. You know, and, um, but as years went by, you know, I, I didn't care really. A part of me just didn't care. I, I couldn't because, and be disappointed <clears throat> mm -hmm. knowing it would go to a straight actor. Yeah. I didn't try. I didn't like, you know, put myself out there, anything. <laughs> and I had my theater career, I was perfectly happy. Yeah. I had more important stuff to do in a certain way, you know, that I was, you know, driven to do or whatever. Yeah. And so that made up for, that made up for my frustration is that I was taken so seriously in another artistic medium. 
<clears throat> yeah. Well, that helped. <laughs> no, I think that's great. Um, you know, that was the balancing act that I... I did the balancing act and it worked. Right. If it hadn't, who knows? But it did. Yeah. Well, I liked, I want to finish all my like interviews with the couple like James Lipton y like inside oh, the actors studio questions, if that's cool with you. Um, all right. Ready? <laughs> I'm ready. I have to be fast. No, no. Oh, okay. Um, okay. What is your favorite word? <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> Fuck is good. <laughs> That's good. Do I have to say why? No. You oh, don't. good. Okay. Least favorite word. Um, uh, homophobe. What inspires you most? <clears throat> People. What's your favorite emotion? Um, love. What turns you on creatively, spiritually, or emotionally? My daughter. What turns you off? Homophobia. If you could have dinner with any artist, living or dead, who would it be? Oscar Wilde. What do you want to be remembered for? This interview. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. That's going to happen for sure. Okay. Well, uh, two more. more. Okay. Two more. Okay. What is your favorite part about being queer? Um, the freedom. What is queer? Freedom. Thank you so much, Michael. This was so, f I mean, I'm so grateful for I you. I love that you did that. <laughs> I've never had that. I don't Yay. Think. All right. Well, I'm going to leave you. That's it. Thank you so much, Michael Kearns, for sitting down and talking with me. You know, Michael's experienced the unthinkable, and he is a freaking gem of an artist, and he just deserves all the respect and recognition in the world, and I know I can't say it enough, so thank you again. Um, you know, I was really lucky to see Michael's new play, Bloodbound, at Highway's performance space before it closed, so I highly suggest you find Michael on uh, Facebook or Instagram and see what he's going to do next, because it's sure to be important and moving and uh, powerful. Thanks for listening to Queer and Art Podcast. I'm your host, Frankie Kraft. You can find the podcast on Instagram at Queer and Art, as well as me uh, on Instagram, Facebook at Frankie Kraft. Q&A is brought to you by Sammy Girl Production. Original music by Joey Polari. Please subscribe, comment, rate, uh, all that jazz. Share. Tell me what you think. I'm curious. As well as emailing the podcast at queerandartpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. <laughs>